You're the school bell. I am the school bell. Welcome to Sisteria, a podcast about women and non-binary creatives and their experiences creating and consuming arts and culture. I'm your host, Steph Van Schild, and in today's episode, I speak with children's book writer, youth worker, and trained shiatsu therapist, Bernadette Green. Bernadette lives in Melbourne with her partner, their two daughters, and their dog, Coco. She grew up passionate about animals and tree climbing and dreamed of one day becoming a writer, but life took her in many different directions before she got there hence the shiatsu therapist. But finally, earlier in 2020, Bernadette released her debut book. Illustrated by Anna Zobel and released through Scribble Kids Books, Who's Your Real Mum is a children's picture book that celebrates so-called non-traditional families and what lies at the heart of any family life, which is love. I spoke with Bernadette about writing a children's book based on her own experiences, the collaborative relationship between author and illustrator, and rainbow families generally. I even spoke a little bit about my own experience as an egg donor. I started off by asking Bernadette how she felt about releasing her debut book during lockdown. It's all a bit disheartening, really. Um, you know, kind of sort of felt like it didn't really happen at all. I mean, the publisher was great and, um, you, know, you know, there were other things on our minds and, you know, the kids coming out of school and, you know, there were things that I'd kind of, well, the main thing I was disappointed about was the launch because my youngest daughter was going to read the book at the launch. And so that was, you know, I was really looking forward to, um, you know, to, to seeing that really. And um, there were things that, you know, bef- you know, knowing it was going to come out, you know, I'm, I was quite nervous about, you know, all these things that were going to be new and even down to um, having to sign a book, which I've not done yet because, um, you know, there was obviously, you know, there wasn't a launch, but, yeah, like I was listening to a podcast where they talk about all the, you know, experiences that are quite new with the book coming out and, um, you know, one of them was out saying that you don't use your regular signature, you um, kind of make one up. So, yeah, I'm, I'm yet to do that. But, I mean, it was, you know, it's still, you know, it, the book industry, you know, people are having online launches um, and, you know, people have really rallied behind books and all that's really positive. Um, it's just, yeah, like it's probably, well, it isn't the same, I guess, as, you know, physically being able to, um, you know, get out there and visit bookshops and, you know, see it. Did you do any stuff online or do you think that because it is a kid's book, it's a bit harder to do that? Like when, um, because it was released on the 31st of March and the launch was going to be on the 24th of April. So it was quite, you know, like we were having conversations, you know, back in March, um, you know, about what to do about the launch. And at that point, we decided to postpone it till September. Of course, we we didn't realise, you know, um, how long it would be going on for. So Who could, honestly? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I've been going to a lot of online launches 
so I'm thinking with our book because there's two people involved. It's Anna and you know my book together. So it might have been a bit trickier. But I guess at that point um, we had wanted to kind of just wait and have a physical launch. But well, I hope something does happen. Yeah. Before we go into your collaborative relationship yeah. with Anna, because I find that very interesting. How would you describe the book and how it came about? So for listeners who maybe don't know, yeah. what is the book about? What inspired you to write it? So the book's about a little girl called Elvie and she's got two mums and she's having a friend, his name's Nicholas, come over for a play day. And um, he says to her, or he asks her, you know, which one's your real mum? And Elvie's, um, you know, they're both my real mums and, you know, he's adamant that the one that had her in um, her tummy is the real mum. And, um, you know, she goes into these kind of fantasy kind of responses on who her real mum is and as she's, you know, because she's been asked this question before. So, you know, she kind of answers um, things like she can do a handstand on one finger and at first he's kind of trying to work out, you know, uh, which mum is that and um, it becomes kind of more fantastical until he gets, you know, a little bit annoyed. And then it kind of comes down to her talking about what makes a real mum. You know, they're the mums who, you know, they're putting me to bed, they're, you know, holding me when I'm scared. And so, yeah, he finally, well, you know, gets it. And um, Was it inspired by your own experience or yeah. what inspired you to write it? Yeah, so, um, so I have two children with my um, female partner and the question, who's your real mum, was a question that they were asked at school you know, in different versions of that question. And, you know, it's quite a confronting question because, you know, it's implying, of course, that, you know, one of the mothers, you know, isn't real. For the kids, you know, their family, you know, particularly pre-primary school, you know, their family is, you know, it's just what their family is, you know, it's pretty kind of ordinary. And so with my partner, one of us birth, um, we've got two children and we um, birth one child each. So, you know, who their biological mother is, you know, that's part of their story and that's up to them to tell whoever they want. But that's very different being a, bio, you know, the biological mother is very different to the question of who your real mother is and the, the idea that, you know, the biological mother is more of a mother. And, you know, that's quite um, confronting for a child really because, you know, the implication is that, you know, the mothers aren't, you know, equal no, of course. And I would like to get to the discussion about kind of families and biology and chosen yeah. families and yeah. rainbow families a bit later. But I did find it interesting with this book, the way that it uses kids' curiosity. So kids are asking what, where, why, who at all times. Yeah. But like you said, it, it speaks to something bigger. It's your children's experience and their life and, and the fact that they have to respond to that. And I think that the way that you've both taken that curiosity, created magic around it, but there is like a serious underlying message here, like yeah. you were just saying. Yeah, that's right. And, um, and, and as you were saying, you know, kids are really curious. So, and there's nothing wrong with that at all, you know, but I guess the fact that it, it can be hurtful for the child who's got um, same-sex parents. You know, so I'm hoping with this book that it answers that curiosity in kids, you know, in a in a very gentle, nice, humorous, you know, loving sort of way because, you know, it is perfectly natural to be curious. 
I mean, of course, the more books that are in schools, the more, you know, movies with same-sex parented families or, you know, um, the variety of families that they're around, that, you know, kids are kind of um, exposed to them through media. The more that kids don't, you know, just think about, you know, who's got you in their tummy and, you know, that that's making a real parent. Absolutely. And I think that how much was that idea of inclusivity and representation a driving force for you in terms of books? Because I know that there are quite a few kids' books that are moving towards more activist advocacy lenses, but I've also spoken to friends of mine who are same-sex parents and they talk about while their daycares or their kindergartens are trying to be more inclusive they do still read a lot of the mama data books. They do still, even if it is like a family of possums, it's still a nuclear family as it was known yeah. in the 1950s. How much was that like a propelling force for you to try and kind of change the conversation in the field? Yeah, well, um, of, of course, and it was, you know, quite natural for me to write a story like this because, you know, that's our reality. But, um, you know, there really isn't a great deal of books out there you know, with um, same-sex parented families, like you were saying, with your friends and at schools. Like my daughter was saying to me recently um, that when she went to school, she found it really confusing, just the fact that her family never popped up in any of the stories. And it did did actually make her wonder about her family. So um, recently I learned that um, England and um, are bringing in I think it's this year where all schools, all primary and secondary schools, have to have diverse books with um, rainbow families, um, yeah, from primary school onwards, and they have to discuss it, discuss sexuality. And in Scotland, they're actually running classes in high school on, you know, the history of gay rights. And um, so, you know, when, you know, Australia's, we're quite, um, behind in that way but you just imagine you know if that was the case it just you know it wouldn't be a big deal you know like kids would see their families if kids had um uh, you know they were questioning their sexuality as well you know there are stories there to say you're okay you know this is you know just part of the human experience do you think we'll ever get there in Australia yeah I think so I mean you know we do drag our feet a little bit but you know you know, we've got same-sex marriage now, so that was something. And, you know, I mean, that was really positive for my kids. I mean, you know, we're not married ourselves, but, you know, like what we're saying about there wasn't much representation at school and it wasn't something that, you know, they, when they were little, we took them to Rainbow Playgroup and, you know, we go on a camp each year. But for them, you know, their everyday life kind of at school, it was almost like it didn't really exist, families like them. You know, there might be a few families, but um, not many. So for them, the um, the experience of the um, the rallies, and even though the plebiscite, you know, I didn't agree with it. I mean, you know, we could have certainly done without it. But just having you know people come up and be supportive to them, and the people to be discussing it, and the people that we were knowing, um, you know, they 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 were supportive. So it was most of it was positive for them. You know what they were hearing from people, but they started to think like you know, wow, you know, like, you know, we're okay, like, you know, like people actually think we're okay. So it was good to kind of almost get it out in the public a lot more. 
I feel like a lot of people don't realize that sometimes asking questions can overstep boundaries. Like even having opinions in that discussion is hurting other people. And I think that the way that you framed this book as a kid's book is really important. I think when the adults start kind of prying into, yeah, you know, who's the real mum? Because adults ask those questions too, yeah, yeah. right? Is that something that you still experience? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we've had it in even extended family where, um, you know, people might ask me just about my biological child and, um, yeah, you know, like I was saying before, you know, biology is very different to who your parent is. And, um, you know, that is, that is just a part of it. But, yeah, you know, I think, um, I think it's a pretty common experience um, that people are, you know, they, they want to know and, you know, they sometimes presume that you're going to be closer to the child that, that is your biological child and, you know, families are all different and all the same, aren't they, really? I mean, you know, sometimes you get along with one of your children, you're feeling closer and sometimes another, but people are curious and, um, you know, that's natural, but, you know, there's people will share what they want to share and there's enough information out there too that people can find out, um, not, not, I mean, personal information, but just about, you know, how, how these, you know, families that are different to your own, your own, how they kind of work. Right. We spoke a little bit um, ahead of recording and I mentioned to you that I have my own experience with a rainbow family. I am yeah. in a heterosexual relationship, but I was an egg donor for my best friend who now has a 16-month-old yeah. little boy. Yeah. Um, Lovely. And, yeah, so that was quite the experience and I too have uh, – experience of people asking questions or calling me names like referring to me as a mother yeah, a yeah. lot yeah. I didn't carry the baby yeah. I wasn't the surrogate that was something that was off the table yeah. <laughs> for me that's a whole different thing yeah. um but I don't think I think people are genuinely interested because there are it is a different way of being in Australia I think that yeah. um a lot of the representation we see is perhaps American inspired and people think it's like a commercial surrogacy or commercial donation process yeah. but that's not the case here um for yeah. me and I know th this is your interview I promise like <laughs> I'm not going to talk no, about no, no, myself no, 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 all the time. um for no. me we went through it was like well over a year two years of interviews with psych yeah. psychologists and counsellors and getting approval by mm, governments yeah. and and then I had the yeah. medical treatment, which wasn't great for me. I didn't have a great experience and I did two rounds of IVF. Yeah. Um, but eventually there's this beautiful baby with two yeah. parents who adore him. Yeah. And I am his auntie. Yeah, lovely. When people try to refer to me as the mum, I'm yeah. like, that's not what parenthood is. Like I did something that was an altruistic gesture that took a, like it did take a lot. I'm not saying I'm perfect and selfless, but it was a lot. Yeah. Um, and it's given this family like he's their child. Like I just don't. People are so confused by that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know that's lovely. And I think the same thing with you know my kids. Um, you know, you know we went through a clinic, and the thing was, I remember. Um, it, I mean, you know, you write about the language. You know, I remember. Um. 
saying something at the clinic about the father and they said to me, don't refer, you know, to him as a father, you know, it's a donor, you know, and, you know, because it, it is kind of wrapping your head around something that, you know, we don't necessarily grow up with. But then, um, you know, as my kids grow up, you know, they have their own story around it, you know, so sometimes they'll talk about, you know, their dad, they'll call him their dad, because that's the language for them that other kids are using. So I also think it's different with women carrying a baby, women giving an egg. So I was confronted when people were like, how is your baby or you're the mum? I was just like, absolutely not. And that's the same sort of thing where, you know, we grow up with certain language around, you know, you know, what makes a parent and our ideas and your experience, which is, you know, your business to tell or not tell, you know, the same thing. And, you know, I kind of think people, you know, it's different with kids. It's natural for the kids to be curious. But, you know, as adults, we're all curious about lots of different things. But we know that there are some things we just don't ask. and. You you have a right to share it if you want to, but, you know, there are some things that maybe people, you know, it's nice if people are a bit sensitive about it because um, you don't really know where the other person's coming from with it. But, you know, I think it's lovely what you did and it sounds like he's got some lovely dads. He sure does. I reckon that your book would be good for adults too that ask these questions, to be honest. Like it's it's a useful tool um, in that way. So people can start thinking about it in the, in like the ways that you've put down on paper, but you've also, it is a picture book. So while I think it would be good for some adults, um, it is primarily aimed at children of what age is it aimed at? Yeah. It's, um, the age range is between about three and five, but, um, picture books, you know, they, my kids were still, we were still reading them picture books up till they were like, I don't know, seven, eight, you know, as well as chapter books. But, you know, they still have their favourites. In fact, I went through them recently and, um, you know, my youngest, who's 12, didn't want me to part with any of them. So, um, and I'm, I'm a bit of a hoarder, so it's easy for me to just, you know, say, okay, I agree, you know. I was trying to make room on the shelf for some more books, but anyway. You can always get a new shelf. Yeah, that's right. Fill it up with more books. <laughs> yeah. So did you ever, is this something that you've always wanted to do, writing a children's book, um, or is it something that came a bit later because you obviously mentioned it's your debut? Did you, how, what was the process like? You went back to study, right? Yeah, so, I mean, I wanted to, um, so I'm a bit of a procrastinator, I think, but I wanted to write since I was a kid and, um, you know, I just had a big imagination and um, so, yeah, I was quite keen to do that when I got older but I came from a family where we didn't, well, none of us finished high school and we kind of, my dad was a factory worker so I worked in factories for years and then... Um, um, actually, I had something. Well, my younger brother was quite sad. He um, he um, died in an accident, and I I went to study. I kind of basically ran from the grief straight into a youth work course, and you know, with the idea I could save young people. And 
I did that for a while, but everything I did in essays and things, I'd kind of turn it into some kind of story. And yeah, so yeah, I worked in um, with young people with disabilities for years, and then um, yeah, I was interested in health as well. So I basically floated around these different things. I studied shiatsu, and but it was always going to be, you know, I'd always say oh, one day I'm going to write, you know, one day I'll do this. And you just get to the point where you're thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm getting older, you know, this is, you know, either I stop saying I'm going to do it or I do it. And so when I was um, pregnant with um, our daughter, I um, you know, kind of thought that I would have, you know, this idea that you're going to have a child and have lots of time. I thought, well, I may as well, you know, study and, you know, do this writing gig. So, um yeah, so I started writing and I've got, you know, a few manuscripts that, um, you know, are unfinished. And, uh, but, you know, most of my writing is um, for teenagers and middle grade and, for, you know, picture books for kids. So Was that just an innate interest or do you think that that is driven from that background in youth work? Do you think that it's those two things colliding? Yeah, it could be. Um, you know, I suppose I've always liked working with children and, um, you know, yeah, I suppose the sort of, the you know, the fantasy, um, so the middle grade that I'm writing has a strong fantasy element. This picture book has a strong, you know, it's quite fantastical as well. So, yeah, I think um, that kind of, you know, the imagination of kids I find really appealing and, you know, the you know, dragons and, you know, all those wonderful things you can do. So, yeah, so I guess um, yeah, it makes sense to me to write for children. So you're currently working on a manuscript at the moment? Yeah, middle grade manuscript and a picture book manuscript. But um, the middle grade one I've been doing for the last five years, I'm hoping to have it finished at the end of the year. And what does it look like to develop a picture book manuscript? Because I know... Personally, I have no experience in children's publishing, um, but from my understanding is you wrote this and then were paired up with the illustrator. Can you talk about that collaborative yeah. relationship a bit? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah, I wrote the manuscript and um, so, you know, and I, I actually met um, Kate O'Donnell, who's the um, production editor at Scribble Kids Publishing. She came into a class that I was in and, you know, the, this was when I was studying professional writing and editing at RMIT and they're always telling us, you know, put yourself forward, you know, um, you know, pitch to people. And anyway, so basically I asked her um, during the break and I wasn't very good at um, pitching to people, but I thought I'm just going to ask her if I can, you know, um, tell her about the book. And I did and, you know, the manuscript and I sent it in Um and yeah, I can't draw. So the thing is that, you know, if you're writing a um, manuscript, the um, publisher finds the illustrator. And at Scribble, they're really particular in the um, match. You know, they felt there was a particular style to the writing that they wanted to um, find an illustrator who, you know, had a style that they thought would go with it. And um, so, yeah, they um, found Anna and... Um, so I didn't meet Anna till the book was actually at the printer. Did that make you a bit nervous when you're handing over your words? And obviously you have faith, you've signed with this publisher and you're like, I believe in yeah. you, this is what you do. But there's got to be an element as a creative where you're like, I've handed over my words and you've got this vision as to how, 
Like the publisher has a vision, but you also have a vision. Yeah. Were you worried they weren't going to match up? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they we didn't actually sign the contract until we'd been matched. They wanted to wait until there was a match. So, um, and the thing was, I like I, you know, yeah, there was a part of me that thinking, oh, I really hope I like, you know, the illustrations. And I'm so happy with them. I just think they're so beautiful, yeah. Oh, that's so. Great. So, you know, I was just very, um, you know, like, you know, when, when the kids, sorry, I'll just digress for a minute, but when my kids were little, like I loved getting picture books for them and looking at them. And I was just as attracted, well, you know, visually you're first attracted to the pictures, you know, the cover of a picture book. And um, so... For me, I just really was hoping that there would be a really good melding of the pictures and the words. and So, yeah, so I was just really happy with, you know, who they put me with. And, um, yeah, so they sent me early on. So I, I can't remember the timeline, but it was, you know, I think it was well over a year, like a year and a half of working um, you know, on and off on it, um, where they sent me her early character sketches. Um, and then there were different scenes. So like I might not hear from them for a couple of months, you know, while Anna was working on things. So I think she, you know, put together a different, you know, a few different concepts. So I didn't even see them all. They, I didn't realise I hadn't even seen them all. Some that, you know, they kind of worked with Anna, you know, whether that would work or not. But the ones I did see, you know, like once um, the characters were decided on, then um, I got one was, I think, set. In, so there were different settings initially. So one was one idea she had was at a um, like an amusement park and another one that she sent through all the thumbnail sketches was at a campground. And the thing was they always, um, you know, asked me for my opinion, um, which was great, you know. So, I mean, and, and to be honest, like it felt weird at first because I thought I don't know anything about like illustrating, so who am I to, you know, kind of say anything. But, you know, what I realised was they were, you know, asking me how it fitted in with the, the story. And so... I think that the campground one, the um, the fantastical elements weren't in it, so the dragon, and I was really attached to that idea of, you know, there being a dragon in the book and there being some of that. And, you know, they, they took that on and, and um, you know, like I think Ellen, and as, you know, she's very um, talented, so I feel very, you know, lucky about, yeah, having her, so... Yeah, so, and then, of course, as we worked through it, as um, the illustrations started to, you know, then because I'd done an early edit of the words and then, you know, once the setting was kind of fixed, you know, we lost a few more words as well. And then there was another scene that they asked me to write. Um, so, I, you know, so there were a few kind of things added, um, but then, um, you know, and then maybe taken away again as it was worked out. So there's one really lovely page where the energy of the story changes where, you know, she, um, you know, Nicholas has kind of, you know, hit the height of his frustration and, El you know, just wants to know who the real mum is and, you know, the book kind of softens and Elvis says, I'll tell you. And, 
And then there's just this beautiful page with no words, you know, and um, just of them, you know, they've hopped off the swing and they're just heading home and and then, um, you know, she starts to go into that, who the real mum is, the, you know, the one who's holding me when I'm scared and, you know, putting me to bed and all this. What did your, because your kids are a bit older now, what did they think of the book? Were they excited by it, by mm. the concept and the thought that it was coming out? Yeah, yeah, they were very excited about it. And, um, you know, like, you know, my youngest, um, you know, she feels like that she looks like the character, you know, Elvie. She feels that Elvie is her and, um, you know, yeah, they're, they're really excited and I think they're happy to see because, um, you know, there's, I think, you know, as a picture book, it's probably only uh, the words, you know, there's not that many, you know, so... I can't remember now, 460 or something. But, you know, it's about get, getting them right and, you know, for them to kind of see that you can work on something that, um, you know, you can work on it really hard even though it doesn't seem like a big thing. And then it, you know, you kind of you get this beautiful end product and, you know, I think they're really happy, happy with it. And, you know, like I said to you, my youngest one, is going to you know read it at the launch but you know I hope she reads it somewhere someday and I think also it's beautiful that it's gone it'll go on and have more life now yeah like it'll have a life out in the world and it'll influence other kids like your kids yeah and it'll have a greater impact which I think yeah and I think they're glad that the story's there because they relate to it and it's really their story um so you know um you know, they, like I said to you earlier, you know, they were both asked that question. And so I think it's, you know, when I wrote it, it was kind of healing, you know, it was almost like I was working it out, a little bit healing for me as well, you know, just because it's, it's you feel for your kids, but you really, um, you know, it's quite confronting, you know, the idea that people are kind of questioning. I mean, you know, no, I'm not kids. I mean, like I said, I've had it from adults, but uh, you kind of, yeah, like I said, it's a bit healing kind of writing it, but also for them to kind of see that, you know, you can have this experience and, um, you know, particularly for my older one because she did have one particular childhood's a bit like um, the child in the book who just really just wanted an answer, you know, and, um, you know, would ask her on different times, you know, um, but, uh, you know, for them to see that you can take something that maybe is a bit of a negative and you can turn it into something beautiful and educational and, yeah. Did you ask your kids before you wrote the book or did you discuss it with them? Uh, yeah, so, you know, we, yeah, we did talk about it and, you know, my, um, my oldest daughter will kind of joke and say, you know, I'm your, like, you know, your inspiration and you've got to write, you know, they want to kind of appear in, you know, other books and stories. And They're your muse. Yeah, that's right. They're my muse. <laughs> oh. So they were younger when I wrote it, of course. So, um, How old are they now? So they're 12 and 16. So, yeah, I wrote it in 2015. That is a big difference between, well, I guess what they've grown up while you've written this book. Yeah, you know, yeah, they're, you know, yeah, very different people there. But, uh, you know, they are, at the end, of, you know, they're, they're proud to see the book. Oh, I love that. While we're talking about kids, and obviously you just said your kids are a bit older, but we do have 
an arrogant art question, um, which is the segment where we answer listener questions with an authority we just don't have. It's an exercise <laughs> in imposter syndrome for all of us. So we have a question from Nikki, which is, do you have any advice for people working from home with young kids in this current climate, for lack of a better term? Um, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old and it's a daily struggle. Any advice would be appreciated. So obviously you're in Victoria as well, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah as am yeah. I. So trapped in the house. Um, only can go out an hour once a day at the moment, which is for everyone's safety and I'm all for that. But I am counting my blessings that I don't have children. I've only got a couple of dogs and they're enough. Um, so my heart absolutely goes out to anyone that has kids at home and are trying to work from home or just to have any semblance of, I guess, sense of self and just to be able to do their own work, like to have that space. How are you finding it? Do you have any advice? Um, obviously your situation is yeah. a bit different with the kids being a bit older, but how are you finding it at the moment? Cause it's tough. Yeah, yeah, it is tough. And look, I, I really feel for people with little kids because, you know, they just want to be around you all the time. It's a little bit different to when they're 12 and 16, <laughs> you know. And um, so, you know, I think it's really important to look after your own mental health, you know. And, I mean, of course, you're talking about trying to get some work done. I mean, gosh, you know, it is, um, it's, a, it's a tough gig really, isn't it? Suppose the house is just going to get turned into cubby houses and things like that, isn't it? You know, the um, when my kids were little, you know, the only small tiny bit of advice, and it's probably not really relevant now anyway. But you know, I tried to make um, screens work for me. You know, I was quite happy to use the um, TV as a babysitter at times, but I, I did try and limit it so that it, I only ever turned it on when I wanted it on. When when I needed a time out, I turned it on. I wouldn't, uh, you know, so when they were little, it didn't get turned on so much when they wanted it, just got turned on when I wanted it. And and it, it worked really well because it meant that, yeah, they were just really, really absorbed by it. But, you know, I think it's it's really, I think about looking after your mental health and being kind to yourself because, you know, you're not going to get the same work done. It's just not possible. I mean, I hope employers you know, really take that on. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's interesting you say that about screen time. A lot of the parents that I know who were very much like no screen time until their ex age yeah. or no screen time are like, yeah. we've given into screen time. Screen time is yeah, happening. Yeah. Like here's an iPad, <laughs> go into the other room, just take yeah, it and go. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not a time to try and be, you know, some idea of an ideal parent, you know. And I mean, I think... The flip side, obviously, I'm talking from observation. Like, I can't stress that enough. But when we had the gap between lockdowns, I did go and see my brother who has a, my nephew is turning four next month and my niece has just turned one. And he and his partner were saying it's actually been a really beautiful time for their family because often they're like in and out of the house and they're going here and there. And just to take, yeah. they, they try as much as possible when they're not tearing their hair out to take stock of the fact that they are having these bonding experiences and that they are together without any yeah. external kind of other than work, but kind of external social pressures to yeah. see people and do things with other people. It's just time for your family. And I thought yeah. 
No, and I think um, during the first lockdown, because it goes up and down, doesn't it? It goes in waves, the different emotions you're feeling. And during the first lockdown, I mean, well, my um, sister and brother-in-law, they've got little kids, so the kids were loving it. So I think for the, you know, for them, their kids are, you know, well, ba- you know, babies up to four, but, um, you know, the kids are, the kids themselves are loving it. And, um, and in our situation, I think we did a lot of jigsaws, you know, there was a lot of um, nice time as well as kind of a pressure to, oh, my gosh, we should be playing more games, we should be doing more, you know, we've got this time. Um, this time it feels for me, I, I'm finding it a bit harder. I think, um, you know, maybe a lot of people are. I mean, it is stage four, but it's because I, like I, the first time around I felt like I had to kind of sort the house and all this time. I feel like it's more about trying to um, dig a bit deeper and find a bit more kind of, I don't know, mental kind of um, relief and, um, you know, for the kids, like I I do feel for teenagers as well because, you know, they're very interested in their peers. My 12-year-old's really found it quite tough because, um, you know, she misses her friends. Um, You know, she loves her family, but she did tell us that she was a bit sick of us all, which is fair enough, you know. Um, my 16-year-old, she's a bit of a homebody, so, you know, she, that's okay. But I think, you know, there are a few teenagers that are that are struggling with that isolation from their friends and, um, you know, so, you know, I guess like I just before the um, stage four came in, you know, went out and bought um, the 12-year-old, our 12-year-old a skateboard. So she's been skating that up and down the house and, you know, just trying to find things that, you know, because their school is, you know, they're still doing remote learning is quite tough, you know, because um, I homeschooled the kids for a year and I actually found that easier because you're kind of, you know, what they're doing and you can, oh, look, they were younger, so maybe that's why. But with remote learning. But you would have been setting the. Yeah, I was setting it. And look, admittedly, there was no lockdown, so we could ride the bikes and we could go. I mean, of course, you can still ride a bike, but, you know, we also had freedom, but. Um, you know, this one, like I'm setting the timer to let them know when one class is finishing and another's starting. And I feel like a timekeeper. You're the school bell. <laughs> I am the school bell. And, and this time around the, the school have made the sh- classes shorter and they're trying to, um, they're trying to, you know, be more responsive to, you know, not making it too hard on the kids. But of course, they're putting their work out there for like hundreds and hundreds of kids. So, you know, they're catering to so many different types of kids and, you know, there's no way it can suit them all. And um, so, you know, I, I feel at this time um, and for this age, it's more, I think it's more about kind of making sure that the kids are okay, you know, that they're kind of mentally okay. They're still, they're not just doing schoolwork, they're getting out because we've it's we've only just come out of winter as well it's really easy for the whole day to go and it's like you know um you haven't been outside and you know it, um, my youngest hasn't even wanted to go outside at first she was worried she was going to catch coronavirus and um and then you know the more you sit and you're sitting in front of the computer the harder it is but she's been a lot um you know she's been a lot more uh you know getting a skateboard and 
um, me harassing her to make sure, you know, we're going on walks. And we've got a dog, so, you know, that helps having to take her out. But, yeah. While I wouldn't advise that everyone gets a dog, maybe (laughs) I recommend that some of you should. But in terms of things that I think everyone should be engaging with, I'm going to do the Sisteria shout-out, which is an opportunity for myself and the guests to recommend a piece of art or culture that we've been enjoying that's been giving us joy during what is a pretty not so joyful time. Um, Personally, I'm just going to start with, in light of everything we've been discussing today, keeping kids occupied, obviously I don't have direct experience with that, but what I do have direct experience with is loving Dolly Parton. And Dolly has created a YouTube series where she is reading kids' books. So it's Good Night with Dolly. It's her reading kids' books. I don't need to say anything else than that to why I think it speaks for itself. It's Dolly Parton reading kids' books. Like you can put your kid in front of it. You can enjoy it too. Dolly Parton, complete treasure. Um, highly recommend. Bernadette, what do you have for us? So I've got the first time podcast, which is hosted by Kate Mildenhall and Catherine Collette. And this podcast is great for, so it's called The First Time because it's first time. It's about the first time you publish a book and it's great for anyone who's interested in writing or reading. So they start each podcast talking about, so when they started it, I think it's in its third season now, so when they started it, um, Kate had already had one book out and Catherine was in the process of her her book was basically at the printer and she was gearing up the launch. So, um, and now they're both on to their second book. So throughout the seasons, they're chatting about the whole process. And like I mentioned briefly before, you know, they even talk about the author's signature and, you know, they laugh, they've got a good relationship together. And, um, and then they have an author come on and chat, but they kind of demystify and, you know, they're quite happy to kind of um, be vulnerable themselves of things that, you know, kind of came up for them. And so they kind of demystified the whole kind of process. And I recommend it to anyone who's, yeah, interested in writing or reading. That's a great one. I think that um, a few of our listeners will be interested in that. And I do know that a lot of people get very inspired by that. So it's both educational and inspiring. And I think right now, the more we can do to inspire one another, um, without the pressure on, yeah, yeah, the better, yeah, the better. Exactly. Bernadette, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today, or talk to me today. <laughs> it's only me. I keep forgetting on Sisteria. It's been an absolute pleasure. Please st- stay safe and take care of your family. Uh, thanks so much, Steph. It was really um, great to chat to you today. Sisteria is supported by the Melbourne City Council Arts Grants Program and recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. We pay our respects to the elders, past and present, and to the elders of all the lands this podcast reaches. Subscribe to Sisteria everywhere and follow us at SisteriaPod. Links to everything discussed in the episode are available at SisteriaPodcast.com. Our theme music is by Rainbow Chan. The song is called Last and it's from her album Spacings. Thanks so much for listening. Stay safe and we hope you tune in again soon. Thank you.